Well, this morning, guys, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament. Um, if you come on Sundays, generally we're in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. Um, but on Sunday nights, we teach through, uh, we're, go- we're going through the book of 1 Kings. Just so happens I was slated to teach tonight's study, um, Sunday night study, through 1 Kings uh, chapter 11. And since call Steve, what's his name, Steve, uh, called upon me, um, I'm going to go ahead and teach that Sunday night ta- uh, chapter t- this morning. So 1 Kings chapter 11 is what I'm trying to say. And then tonight what we're going to do, instead of going through the chapter, we're going to just have a time of worship and prayer and, uh, it's gonna, and praise. It's going to be a great time. So I invite you guys out tonight at 6.30 for that. But this morning, 1 Kings chapter 11, and I'm not going to tackle the whole chapter. I, I really felt like um, just the first eight verses is what the Lord had for us this morning. So what I'd like to do is just once you're there, I'll read it, follow with me, and then we'll just kind of dissect this baby, see what the Lord has to say to us uh, this morning. Pretty much everybody there, 1 Kings 11. If you're not, just fake it. All right, 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 8. It goes like this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully or wholly true to the Lord his God, as was his, the heart of his, David father, his father David. Excuse me. Verse 5, Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Verse 7. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did all his foreign, excuse me, and so did all for his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. So, Father, we just want to pause for a second, let let that kind of sink in, and just ask, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would take the words off the page and somehow make this relatable to our context and our lives. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and that we would respond to to what you want to say. And we'd respond in a way that's correct and right. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was telling first service, I don't know what goes through your mind when you read those verses. Here's what goes through my mind. After I get over, dang, that's a lot of women. Um, The next thing I think is, how could Solomon be so stupid? That's what goes through my mind. And here's why. You see, we've been studying the life of Solomon on uh, Sunday nights. 
This is actually the last chapter, uh, literally, of his life. As, he gets, as we get to the end of chapter 11, he dies. And so this is it, the last commentary on uh, Solomon's life. But Solomon was one of the most famous kings that ever lived for a lot of different reasons. Number one, he was David's direct son, his direct heir. So in and of itself, that's a big deal. Secondly, Solomon was, this is maybe one of the, the things he's most known for, he was the wisest guy, the wisest man that ever walked the planet, save Jesus. And if you don't know his story, you can go back and read it. It's like chapter 3. When he comes to the throne, um, God appears to him in a dream because Solomon's kind of freaking out. He's like, I don't know how to be a king. I'm a young man. I don't know how to make these decisions. This is a whole country. I didn't go to king school. I don't know what to do. So God comes to him and says, ask me anything you want. So Solomon's reply was, God, I need wisdom. I need skill and understanding how to do this. And God was really happy because Solomon didn't ask for money, didn't ask for revenge on the enemies. He was stoked that, that he asked for something smart, like wisdom. So God grants wisdom to Solomon more than any other person that's ever walked the planet, like I said, save Jesus. He literally was the smartest, the wisest man that ever lived. He's famous for that. He's famous for the fact that he built the temple. He's famous for the fact that he brought the nation of Israel into prosperity and expanded their borders like no other king at any other time in their history. So we're talking about a, a, an exceptional man, an amazing man, a man who started out so fervent for God, God used him so miraculously, gifted him beyond measure, and at the end of his life, he totally goes off the rails. And the question I have to ask myself is, how could a guy like Solomon go that far off track and crash and burn that badly? Do you guys wonder that sometimes? And the follow-up question to that, for me anyway, I, mean, I don't know if you guys are tracking with me, but the, the next question that kind of pops into my mind is, and if Solomon didn't do it, what hope do I have? Because I'm no Solomon. I'm no wise guy. I'm not smart or talented or gifted like Solomon was. And, and if a guy like that just gets so stupid and goes so left field at the end of his life, man, is there any hope for a knucklehead like me or more amazingly, a knucklehead like, like you, like us? Are you guys tracking with me? And so what this is, this little chunk of this chapter that we're looking at, it's, it's one of these, and it's not alone, it doesn't stand alone as the only chapter in the Bible that does this, but what this does for us is it serves as something like a shot across the proverbial bow of our ship, right? It's, it's this warning shot saying, look guys, hey, pay attention. Because the reality is, it doesn't matter how gifted you are or how well you start, what really matters is how well you finish. Amen? And unfortunately, Solomon joins the ranks of countless people that started in the Lord really, really well, but just tanked at the end of their life. And guys, that's just my heartbeat in this whole thing. I, I told first service, I'll tell you, it's no secret. Like, this is a huge fear of mine. I'll be, I'll be really honest. I don't want to join those ranks. I don't want to be a guy that they said, oh, yeah, he started well. He, he loved the Lord. I remember back in the day, but, man, at the end of his life, you know, he just tanked. I want to finish well. 
Amen? Anybody in here, and I'm not trying to be a cheerleader, but I'm asking. Anybody in here say, I may not have started well. I mean, he started well. I didn't start well, but at least I'm on track now. But I want to finish well. Anybody want to finish well? Because, guys, the days that we live are short. And I, I look at an example like this and say, God, what can we, what can I learn so as not to make the same mistakes that Solomon made. Amen? They say experience is the best teacher. It doesn't have to be our experience. It can be somebody else's experience. We can learn from them. Let's learn from Solomon. And what I want to do is go through about three or four different things that we can pull from this that are just practical things to think about and consider. Before we do that, let's get a little bit of the story, a little bit of context. Uh, Like I said, this is towards the end of his life. I just want to deal with a couple of these things. Yes, we read this right. Um, it says that Solomon, verse 3, well, verse 1, it says he loved many foreign women. A couple things there, just as a point of clarification. If, you, if you're reading a King James Version Bible, um, it says many strange women, and I'm sure some of them might have been very strange, but that's not, a better translation really is foreign. There's foreign women. Um, and just a, another point of clarification, it's not that God was, you know, anti-interracial marriage or anything like that, or nobody's making a case for that. The point is, is that for the children of Israel at this time, where they're at in their life and their history, God had made it very clear as they have just been really born as a nation, pulled out of Egypt, going into the land of promise, into a land that was possessed by um, and lived in by all these various pagan cultures that were completely anti-God, he was saying, look, I don't want you mixing with them. I don't want you intermarrying. And he even gives the why. Because if you do that, what's going to happen is they're going to bring into that relationship their foreign gods, their idols, and what it's going to do is pull you away from serving me, and it's going it's to drive you to serving them. Does that make sense? So the prohibition was there for that reason. Well, all that to say is Solomon, it says he loved many strange women. And I, and I take issue, by the way, with that word love. Because I'm not sure it was so much that Solomon loved all those women. I think it'd probably be safer to say that Solomon loved Solomon. And, and to me, as I, you know, again, not to be redundant, but you know, I just said this last service. Um, to me, amongst other things, when it says that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and a concubine, by the way, just for all intent and purposes, is a mistress, okay? So he had 1,000 women in his life, um, that to me underscores and is this glaring example of how if we allow the lust of our flesh to go unchecked, it will never ever be satisfied no matter what. Now, pause there for a second because some people say, well, hold on. It wasn't so much that Solomon was just after having all those women and just lusted after women. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that had nothing to do with it. Um, it had a lot to do with it. But there is another side to the coin. In that culture, if you were a king, the way that you would often make peace with a neighboring country is you would marry the daughter of that king of that country. Does that make sense? He did that with Pharaoh. And the reason is, if you're married to the neighboring country's king's daughter, that king is a lot less likely to invade your borders if he knows his daughter's living there. Does that make sense? So that was a very normal, customary thing. Solomon took that and put it on steroids and just went to to 11 on the whole thing. I mean, he just goes crazy, unheard of, to have this many 
peace treaties or wives or whatever. But all that to say, just again, this isn't the main point. I just want to bring it up because it's in front of us, is that, guys, listen. To me, this is a glaring, as I said, reminder that lust, just unabated lust, will never satisfy. You know, I, th- I don't think that there's, you know, we're not sitting in your, ma- I'll just address the guys. I know this may apply to women too, but I'm a guy and all guys think. You're thinking, a thousand wives, that's crazy. I'd, I'd never do that. I'd try 700, but not a thousand, you know. And, and in the lust of our flesh, there is even in the mentality in the day and age we live in, we think, oh, just all, if I could just have all the women I ever wanted, all the way. Listen, Solomon is the great example that it will not satisfy the deepest longing of what you're looking for. Lust is like a fire. And the more a fire burns and the hotter it burns, the more fuel it requires. And the more you feed it, the hotter it burns and the more it requires. And the more you feed it, the more it burns and the more it requires. Does that make sense? It is a trap. It's a trap. That's why pornography is a trap. It never satisfies. It just requires more, requires more, requires more, requires more. And maybe it was, well, maybe it wasn't the sexual thing. Maybe it was a lust for power. Okay, whatever lust it may be, maybe it was just a lust for power. But guess what? It wasn't satisfied. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because that's just the way it works. It's like a fire, and it's a deception. And we got to learn from his example on that. Be that as it may, let's get back to the story. He's got 700 wives. The whole point of what's being talked about here is it kind of culminates by saying that, that Solomon's heart Because of all these wives that he had brought in and their false gods and all their idols, his heart was pulled away from God. And then the dreaded verse 6 where it says, um, So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord with his whole heart. Uh, Not to sound too redundant, but guys, that's it. Like I said, that's the key. You know, one of the things I love about Samuel and Kings and Chronicles is it's this, it's history, and I like history, but it, it goes through all these various kings. Inev- inevitably, at the end of that king's life, it'll just have a summary statement. And so-and-so did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Or so-and-so did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I love the simplicity of that. And I have to wonder, for me and for you, when the last chapter of our life is written, I, what would the summary statement be? Jason did which was what in the sight of the Lord? Because, guys, it's not going to matter how much money we had, how much property we had, how much popularity we had, how our physique looked. All those things aren't going to matter. A hill of beans, at the end of the day, all that's going to matter is did we spend our days living for and loving God, and that's what's going to carry on into eternity. Amen? And so it's a good opportunity for us to say, ooh, heart check this morning, heart check. So let's look at three things, at least, maybe four, that, that we see from this passage that we can learn from and say, man, how do I get this to not happen to me? What, what can I avoid, or what are some things I can do uh, to avoid the end that Solomon had? Well, number one, just a couple of bewares, and the first one I want to just beware of is this. Now, it's not in the text, but it is in the context, and what I mean by that is this. I think we need to beware of days of ease and pleasure and everything going good. Solomon lived in an era unprecedented. His dad, David, did all the fighting. I mean, if you had to, like, 
sum up David's life. It was battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. But what was he doing? He was securing all the borders. He was making things safe. He was beating back the enemy. Why? When his son comes to power, there's peace. All that fighting's done. Now Solomon, he's a lover, not a fighter. I mean, truly, he's a lover, not a fighter. And he's living in a day where abundant peace on all the borders. If you go back and read chapter 10, you can read about they had so much money in the kingdom at that time. Every single one of his utensils and plates, drinks, cups, it was all made out of solid gold. Silver wasn't even valued that much. It was like dirt clods because it was so common. I mean, he was absolutely opulent. He had all the riches, all the money, all the ease, all the rest, all the time you could want. Here's what we think. If I could just get in a situation like that in my life without all these without all the drama or battles, and if, if it could just be easy and just have enough money, and uh, then, man, I could really just press into the Lord. Let's be honest. When do we really press into the Lord? When the bottom falls out? Look, I'm not asking, and I'm not saying that we should want pain. I don't like pain like anybody else. I don't like hardships. I don't like financial hardships. I don't like medical hardships. None of us like any of those things. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that it is those trials that oftentimes drive us to our knees in prayer to seek God to what to do and for provision. Amen? The most dangerous times in my life, I think you could make a case for David too. Oh, waking up from his nap in the middle of the day when all his armies are out there fighting, cruises out to his lanai, looks over the way, oh, there's Bathsheba bathing. Stares at Bathsheba, ends up committing adultery. You know, look, I'm just saying that it's oftentimes in those times when everything's going good, everything's going well, there's money in the bank, there's ease, there's time. Oh, there's time. How many guys know, how many men know that having a lot of time on our hands is not a good thing? There's time. Guys, oftentimes that's when the gloves come down. The defense, we just relax our defenses and pop, we get clipped by a left hook from the enemy, so to speak. That's a little boxing analogy for you. Guys, just wondering if you're paying attention. Anyway, the point is, guys, I like times of ease just like everyone else, but we got to be careful in those times because it's then that we let our defenses down. You know where the safest place to be in the kingdom of God is? On the front lines. The safest place to be in the kingdom of God is on the front lines, engaged in the fray. But it's, it's when we get in trouble when we're like, wow, things are going good. I'm going to skip church. I'm gonna, I don't really need to pray right now. Things are going well. And we don't even necessarily think in those terms. We just kind of forget. We just kind of let it slip. And then next thing you know, man, we haven't been in fellowship in three or four weeks. And, and prayer meeting, that's out the window. And I just got other things to do. And there's this thing on Netflix. And, and, and we just get sidetracked. And everything's just going good. And then the next thing you know, we're getting popped in the face, so to speak, by the enemy because we have let our defenses down. You guys understand what I'm saying? So just a, just a real quick one, a little shot over the bow. Beware, be careful of times of ease and prosperity. We all love those times, but don't let your guard down. That's the time we need to push in and press in to the things of God. Number two, another thing to beware of. <laughs> this is interesting. This one kind of popped out at me when I was reading it. Look at verse four. It says, when Solomon was old... His wives turned his heart away from God. When? When he was old. Did you guys notice what it didn't say? 
when Solomon was young and full of just vigor and, and just, just a young man, that's when he really got the best of him in his lust, and he, that's when he turned away from the Lord. No. It wasn't when he was young. It was when he was older. In fact, check this out. Go back and read chapter 8 and, and before that and read about Solomon. Guys, when Solomon was young, he was going hard in the paint. This guy was absolutely all about it. I love chapter 8. Chapter 8 is when the, the temple gets built, and there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about with that. We won't, but the temple's built, and they're having this dedication ceremony. And Solomon, I mean the king, he's out there in front of everybody, and he's on his knees. I mean the, the noble king of the, of the land is on his knees, lifting his hands with passion, crying out to God, saying, God, we know that you're too big for any building, and this building couldn't contain you, and you're awesome, and you're God. And if we ever depart from you, oh, God, have mercy on us, and we'll cry out to you. And you read this prayer, and you're like, yeah. Solomon's going for it. He's all about it. He brings 120,000 sheep, 120,000 sheep to sacrifice, plus tens of thousands of other animals to sacrifice. And you're like, dang, this guy was all about it. But then when he was older, when he was older, that's when his heart began to drift away from God. And here's what I want to say. Listen, this can oftentimes be the way that it is, unfortunately, for those of us who've walked with the Lord for some time, are you guys tracking with me? It doesn't have to be like that, but unfortunately, oftentimes, it is this way. You know, I got saved when I was 10 years old. I've been walking, well, I've been a Christian. I don't want to say I've been walking with the Lord because I wasn't walking with the Lord all of those years, but I've been a Christian since I was 10 for over 30 years, 36 years. And I'll tell you, I, I feel it just like everyone else. You know, it's so refreshing when you see somebody come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Man, there's a joy. There's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Everything's fresh and new. It's almost like you can still feel that weight of sin that just came off of you. And, and the inside of you is just, man, it's bursting out of the seams because, man, something real has happened and you're connected with God. And, and all of a sudden, man, everything just makes sense. And the word of God's coming alive to you. And you go to a prayer meeting and you're like, oh my gosh, God is in this place. And what, we're only doing five worship songs? Let's do like five more. And you're just like into it. Amen? Some of you guys are like, I don't remember those days. That's the point. See, what happens so often, I mean, I'm just being, you know, exaggerating here, but so often early on in our walk with the Lord, there's kind of that proverbial honeymoon stage where everything's fresh, everything's new, and we just want to stay there forever. But guys, just like in a, in a marriage relationship, the honeymoon kind of ends. It doesn't mean the love ends. It doesn't mean the relationship ends. In fact, it's kind of designed that way to where it goes into a deeper, fuller more mature and robust love, not just the feely, tingly. And I love feely, tinglys just like the next guy. And I love Holy Ghost goosebumps just like the next guy. And I love those times when we experience, you know, and sense the Lord's presence, and we long for those times. But God wants to bring us into a deep and mature and robust faith in Him. Amen? And unfortunately, what can happen as you watch believers, and I've done this, and I've been in there long enough to just see friends who are once just loving God and tracking with God, but as time goes by, there's just a coldness that sets into their heart and a drifting. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that in my marriage, and I don't want that in my relationship with God. And just like in my marriage, I have to 
be proactive and I have to, to work on those things and, and pursue certain things so that we don't drift and we don't get cold. You guys have to do the same thing in your walk with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me ask you a question. And, th- and you guys know me, think well enough to know that I don't, I don't do this to like guilt you or anything like that. I'm talking to myself just as much, if not more, than I'm talking to you. In fact, this is all about me anyway. So just, you guys can leave if you want. I'll just preach to myself. But let me just ask this question and just be honest about it. Again, it's not meant to guilt you. It's just meant to be an honest evaluation, okay? Those of you who have known the Lord for more than 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, 20, 30 years, honestly ask yourself this question. Are you more in love with Jesus now than you were 10 years ago or less? Are you more interested in his word now than you were 10 years ago or less? Do you worship with more passion now because you know him better or less? Do you give, do you serve more now because now you know him better and you've walked with him all these years or has it diminished? And here's the reality about the Christian life. There's no cruise control. There's no just settling in. You're either going forward or you're sliding back and that's just the way it works in the kingdom of God. And this is the point of all the points I'll make this morning. This is the one that really kind of touched my heart the most and convicted me the most because I can, just like all of us, have that tendency to just become familiar and just kind of go through motions and the passion goes and the passion goes and my heart's just not where it should be. If that's the case this morning, do something about it. Do not just sit there and be like, well, back in the day in the 70s, I really loved the Lord. That was cool, back in the 70s. This is the 2000s and the 19s. What are we in? The 2000s, whatever. 2020 almost. Praise God for what he did in your life back then. But that's then. This is now. Are you more in love with Jesus today? than you were when you first asked him into your life. Be careful as you get older that you don't grow colder. That's the idea. Well, that rhymed too. Not in my notes. Just made that up. You're welcome. Number three. First one was, you know, just beware. You don't have to freak about it, but just beware of those times of pleasure and ease and abundance because that can be when we let our guard down. Number two is just because you're growing older in the Lord does not mean you're growing more mature or not, does not mean you're growing more fervent. It could be actually the very opposite, so, so be on guard against that. Number three, the bottom line of this whole thing, and I saved it for this point, is that at the end of the day, the reason that Solomon's heart drifted, the reason that he bails, the reason that he goes down in flames, has everything to do with this. Straight up disobedience. He just disobeyed God. He lived a lifestyle of compromise and disobedience. And listen, this is the kicker. Eventually, it caught up with him. It didn't catch up with him right away. Did you guys notice that? It didn't catch up with him right away. In fact, it's interesting. um, Brian, who was here last service, he taught chapter 10. In chapter 10, it's this whole chapter, like this catalog of all the stuff that Solomon accumulated. Gold, money, in the, and I think when we broke it down into today's currency, it would have been in the trillions of dollars every year coming in. He reigned for 40 years. Start doing the math. Money beyond your wildest dreams, collecting it, collecting it, collecting it, collecting it. Not only that, he collected horses. And not, we say, well, why horses? 
horses in that day was like the, you know, like the, the top military thing. It, it talked about how powerful you were. It was your army. It just was, a, it was, it was not only that, but it was prestige. And he was going back to Egypt and bringing horses. Here's the kicker. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17, it prohibits kings from accumulating three things, money, horses, and women. And guess what Solomon did over a period of 40 years? Accumulated money, horses, and women. Now, what I'm about to say is speculation, so you can treat it as such, but I speculate. It doesn't say it here, but I speculate that a mentality crept into Solomon subconsciously that went something like this. Well, that doesn't really apply to me. Again, that's speculation. It doesn't say anywhere that he said that. But how many times we have maybe not said that out loud, but in the back of our mind, knowing that we're living lives of compromise and disobedience, think to ourselves, but that really doesn't apply to me and my circumstance. You see, times are hard financially, so that's why my boyfriend and I have to live together. Yeah, I mean, we're having sex and stuff, but you don't understand. It's in this day and age, and it's accepted, and financially, it's a good idea for us to move into it. It's a life of compromise, and it's a life of sin and disobedience. Well, you know, I just, I just go, I revert to that, and I do that. I know it's not a big deal. It's not, it's not as bad as what they're doing. And we, we just capitulate, and we just make excuses, and we compare our sin with somebody else's sin. We can always find somebody sinning worse than you, right? But the problem is they're not the standard. The holy, awesome God is the standard. You know, I was telling first service, I, I keep saying that. Um, it kind of dawned on me. I really feel, if I can be so bold to say this, and you can receive it or not receive it, I feel like the Holy Spirit is trying to teach Calvary Chapel North Shore something in the last few weeks. And I'm saying that based on what the Holy Spirit's been teaching through the text in 1 Corinthians, in our Wednesday night Exodus study. It was a heavy one last Wednesday. In this text right here, again, where it's dealing with sin, calling sin, sin, showing that there's heavy repercussions for sin and that you can't get away with sin and sin will kill you. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on Calvary Chapel North Shore and saying, there's sin in the camp and there's things that need to be dealt with and we need to stop making excuses for them and we need to call it what it is and repent. And if there's not repentance, there's heavy consequences that come with that. And let me remind you, God hates sin because the wages of sin is what? Death. See, that's the whole point of this. It's not that God just, you broke my rules and I'm angry that you broke my rules. No, it has nothing to do with that. God hates sin because sin kills us. We think it's just a little fudge. We think it's just me expressing myself. In reality, when we violate God's standards and what he has said is right, it's not just getting away with something. We're killing ourselves. We're killing those around us. We're killing our families. We're killing the church. We're bringing death. And if you don't believe me, all we got to do is look to the cross. When Jesus was like a bloody hunk of naked flesh on the cross, bleeding out, swollen beyond recognition. Why? Because 
the sin of Jason Beale was lifted off of him and put on Jesus, and Jesus paid for it, and that's what sin does. If we ever lose sight of what sin does, all we got to do is go to the cross and say, that is why God hates sin, because he loves you, and he loves me, and sin wrecks everything. Amen? And so sin's not a small deal. And again, this isn't meant to like, I'm not like trying to call everybody out or anything like that. I'm just saying, man, sometimes I feel like the Lord is saying, sin's hurting us. And, and the thing with Solomon, it didn't really come to a head till later in his life. And the trick so often is, is that we can start to live in lives of compromise and, and nothing happens. God didn't strike me dead. But then as time goes by, the marriage falls apart and the business sinks and, and all the consequences start coming home because there's a law in spiritual life called sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. If you plant an orange seed in the ground, you'll get an orange tree. That's just the way it works. If you sin, if you give in to the flesh, it will bring a crop of destruction. It's only a matter of time. Never mistake God's patience and his grace for indifference or acceptance. It's patience. It's grace. Amen? Now, having said all of that, know this. If this morning the Holy Spirit's putting on you like, yeah, there is some areas of compromise and sin in your life, he's not doing that to grab your nose and rub, you know, rub your face in it. He's giving you a golden opportunity right now this morning to change direction, to repent. That's what repentance is. It just means to change your mind and go in a different direction. Repentance is a hope word. It's a great word. It means you just say, you know what, God? I'm not going to play games anymore. I'm going to call it like you see it. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to confess. And Lord, I pray you'd forgive me. And he's faithful and just, and he will forgive you based on what Jesus did. And I pray that you would purify me, and he will. And I pray you give me the grace to change directions and live differently, and he will. Amen? Amen. So the bottom line is, the real reason why Solomon went into left field didn't happen all at once, you guys. It was a life of compromise, disobedience. And God would call us to a life of obedience because he wants to bless us. And he's a good dad. How many of you guys know God is a good dad? Any good dad does not bless disobedience. You don't say, oh, you, you disobeyed me all day? Sweet, let's have some ice cream after dinner. <laughs> and oftentimes when you're feeling all the fallout, it's, it's not because God hates you. It's because he's a great dad, and great dads discipline the kids that they love. If you feel a little spanked this morning, oh, praise the Lord, that means you're one of his kids, and he loves you. Lastly, it's, uh, and this is really what is kind of at the core of the issue, and I think that we'll kind of pull a very practical, positive application out of this. And it's, it's found in verse, um, well, it's kind of all over the place. I don't know if you noticed, the word heart, the word heart is, was used f at least five times in those eight verses, five times, heart, 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 heart. There's an old cliche, but cliches are usually true. At the heart of every issue, it's an issue of the heart. And that's really what was going on with Solomon. It was an issue of the heart. It was an issue of the heart. His heart was being pulled away from God. He didn't follow after God with his whole heart. At the end of his days, his heart was separated from God. Interestingly enough, by the way, where it says that his heart was, um, oh, I need to find it because I don't want to mess this one up. 
where it says his heart uh, turned from the Lord. That word literally, it's interesting, it literally means to spread out. And that's what happened with Solomon's heart. It got spread out. A little bit went over here, a little bit went over there, a little bit went over here, instead of all of it going towards God. And this is, guys, tucked into this, I think, is a very practical, doable application for us. Because you might say, well, you know, my heart's just not in it. My heart, you know, I hear what you're saying. I, maybe, I don't, I'm not into that kind of, like, Bible study's not my thing, and church isn't my thing, and God's not my thing. Just my, used to be into it, my heart's just not in it. I mean, my, my heart's into all of these things now. And, and you don't understand, I'd go to church, but there's a new series on Netflix. I cannot miss that. Or my heart's, you know, and we have a hundred different things. We were all spread out. Here's the key. Put your heart onto God, and your heart will be on God. Does that make sense? You see, here's, the, here's what stuck out to me. It says in verse 2 that Solomon, or maybe it was verse 1, or maybe it was verse, uh, let's just make up a verse at this point. It was verse 2. It says, talking about these women, it says Solomon clung to these. He clung. That's a very intense word. It, mean, it, takes, it takes effort to cling. It means to stick to. It means to grab onto. I like the old King James Version. It says to cleave. It means to grab a hold to. It heeds to. It, it, that's something that takes effort and that takes energy. He was purposeful about pursuing these ladies. And not only that, later on it says in verse 5, for sure verse 5, it says Solomon went after Ashereth. That false goddess, which, by the way, was worshipped with crazy sexual weirdness. But that phrase catches me. He went after her. That takes energy. That takes intentionality. It takes purpose. Are you guys catching me? Because he went after these women, and he went after this goddess, and he went after that goddess, because he did that, his heart got spread out. So what's the key for us? Go after God. Cling to Jesus. And when you do that, when you expend the energy, when you're intentional, when you're purposeful about pursuing Jesus in the things of the Lord, when you start doing that, guess what happens? Your heart gets into it. Jesus, this is one of my favorite principles from Scripture. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 6, where it says, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Did you catch that? Where, where you invest your treasure, your heart will follow the treasure. We tend to think, well, my treasure will follow my heart. No, your heart will follow your treasure. So if your treasure is in Instagram and your treasure is in Facebook and your treasure is in money or your treasure, nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But if that's where our treasure is and our time is being spent and our energy is all the time, guess what? That's where our heart will go and then our heart won't really have much really inkling to go towards the things of God. But if we first and foremost seek first the kingdom of God, if we love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we start investing the treasure of our time and our energy and our strength, like Jesus said, love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what happens? Your heart begins to follow. Does that make sense? See, at the beginning of the relationship, it was just like, oh, how could I want to do anything else? Ah, you know, you're all in. 
But then life happens and routine happens and things happen. And so guess what? Sometimes it has to kick in this thing called spiritual discipline where you say, you know what? Even though I don't necessarily feel like it, it's good for me to be at the prayer meeting. It's good for me to be at church. It's good to me to get, to get up an hour before everybody else does so I can read the word of God. It's good for me to go to bed in prayer. Whatever it was that you did, get back to that and start pursuing that. Now guess what? You can't do that and everything else. So as you say yes to God, some things you got to say no to, and some things you got to put aside. But the end result is your heart, your heart, your heart is drawn back to God. Amen? Guys, we live in the most distracted culture imaginable. Everything wants a piece of your heart. But I say, and I think the Word of God would say, we need to give all of our heart to God first, and then if there's anything left over, we'll go, we'll do it, you know, we'll give it to those things. But let's go hard after him. Amen? Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. I brought this up at, earlier. Um, short little verse. Uh, Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God to the people of Israel. So God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love like a bride. Just let that sit for a second. God said, I remember when we first started. The devotion of your youth. I remember those days. And the idea is, they're gone now. But I look back with fondness. God said, I look back with fondness to those days. To me, that's the Old Testament equivalent of Revelation chapter 2. Where God was talking to a church that was doctrinally sound, busy doing the work of the ministry, all kinds of stuff. And he basically says, I'm out of here. I'm leaving your church unless you repent because you've left your first love. You just don't love me anymore. Where's your heart? Because all that other stuff without your heart is just stuff. God wants our heart. Amen? Amen? See, this isn't meant to be a, a passage. It is meant to be heavy, and, and there's just the way the Bible is. God doesn't pull punches. He says it like it is. But it's always because he wants restoration. It's always because he wants our best. It's always because he wants deep, real relationship with us. Amen? Let's stand together as the worship team comes up, and we'll pray. And as we're standing, I just want to invite you for a moment to just kind of quiet your heart for a second. I'm going to give you a second before we sing, before we pray anymore. I just want to give you a moment to just, I think, do what this passage is screaming for us to do, and that is take an honest, heartfelt evaluation of where we're at. Don't make this applicable to your wife or to your husband or to your kids. Be really bold right now and just gutsy and just be like, okay, God, is there anything in my life? Have I just let my guard down? Have I been living in compromise? Have I, whatever, you know, application the Spirit may have spoken to you about. And this is your moment right now. Let's bow our heads and our hearts. This is your moment just to talk to God. And talk to him about anything you need to. Repent, confession. Don't drift off. Just take a couple of minutes. Go ahead.
Father, we thank you so much for passages like this that are sad because we see one of our heroes kind of go down, but they're really good for us. They're really helpful. So thank you, Father. And I just want to ask right now in the name of your son Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that you take a, 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 the light of, of your word and your spirit and shine it into our lives and just help us to see if there's anything in there that is not honoring to you or we've, we've gotten lazy in or we've gotten compromised in. And thank you that you're not condemning us. You're not rubbing our noses in it. You, you expose those things so that we can confess and get rid of them and just make everything right between us. And that's what we want. We want that as a church. We want that as individuals. Would you just purify our hearts, God? Forgive us if we have done some Solomon stuff. And we all have, every one of us in here, we're all prone to these things. And you know that, and you're not condemning, but just help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. And also, um, before we go, if you're here and you've, you've never received Jesus as your Savior, Maybe a lot of what we're talking about you don't even really understand or you're not really tracking with. It could be because maybe you, you've, you've yet to actually pray and ask God to forgive your sins and come into your life. And I just want to briefly remind you that, that God loves you. He created you. He created you to, to be in a relationship with him. The Bible teaches us that when sin entered into the world, it broke that relationship. And we've inherited a sinful re- nature and we've all done our own sinful dirt and there's nothing that we can do to make that relationship between us and God better there's no amount of church there's no amount of good works there's no amount of good deeds there's nothing we can do to breed to bridge that that gap and that's why God out of his immense love for us sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life and then at the end of his life substituted his perfect life for our sinful ones. He took all of our sin and put it on him, himself, and he died on the cross. He raised from the dead three days later. He ascended to heaven. Now, if you'll put your faith in him, if you'll just tell him what he already knows, but just humble yourself and say, God, I, I'm a sinner. I've, I've sinned against you, and I can't make it right. I, I, I'm hopeless here, but I believe that you died for me and you raised from the dead, and I want to receive that free gift of salvation right now through faith. He will then take his righteous life and put it into your account. You will be forgiven, you will be made right before God, and you will have what the Bible ha- calls eternal life that actually starts right now. And if you've never done that, can we just take two more minutes, church, just to invite any and all who would want to do that to respond to the gospel? Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment. If you're here and you want to receive Jesus in that way, not by going to church, but you say, no, I want, to, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with God. and I'm going to put my faith in Jesus that he did it all. And I want to receive that right now in faith. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer, but you've got to pray it, okay? I'll, I'll guide you, but you've got to pray it. Father, I recognize I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to undo my sin. I believe you're God. I believe you love me. I believe, Jesus, you died for me. I believe you raised three days later. I believe you ascended to heaven. I put my faith in you right now. Please forgive me of all my sins. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for the rest of us, I want to pray, God, that you would help us to live lives that honor you and that we would, every one of us, 
finish well, that we would finish strong. God, that we wouldn't go off the rails. We'd go harder after you as we grow closer to you. Lord, if any of us have gone off sideways, Lord, thank you that this morning, boom, back on track, just walking with you. We love you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord.